Friends, I am absolutely thrilled about the response our Pain to Purpose course is receiving right now. So many of you are finding healing from your trauma, resetting your faith foundations, and moving through your valley with a renewed sense of purpose because of this course. And this is exactly what our prayer was for this course when we first started it. One of our community group guides sent me an email after she went through the course and said this about it. I can't say enough incredible things about these videos, the way the Holy Spirit is coming alongside everything you say to peel back layers and begin to heal has been one of the most remarkable experiences for me on this journey. I am really just blown away. If you're a pastor or a church leader or a small group leader, we want to bring this course to you, your congregation or your small group in a way that is affordable for both you and the members of your spiritual community. That's why we have two brand new applications for this course, one for churches and one for small groups. Small group leaders, for a limited time, we're knocking $50 off the small group bundle price. Pastors and church leaders, until September 1st, you can lock in your annual license of the Pain to Purpose course for 50% off the normal price. That's an outrageous discount. We developed this course as a pathway to come alongside you, help people heal inside the context of their spiritual community, and release them back on mission within your local church or your small group. If you're interested in finding out more about the Pain to Purpose course and to see if it's a fit for your spiritual community, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com and choose either for churches or for my small group. Again, that's mypaintopurposeplan.com. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Aubrey, our co-host, Aubrey. Hello, hello. It is so great to be on this conversation with you. I'm glad we get to kick it to this interview together because I was so profoundly impacted by Oz Hillman's book, The Upside of Adversity. That's awesome. Uh, I read it probably a year or more after Amanda passed away. Oh, wow. And it was one of those books that moved me forward on my healing journey so Mm. much because of uh, the story that he digs into. He digs into Joseph's story and just kind of how adversity plays a role in our lives to propel us forward toward the purpose that God has for us if we will humble ourselves and get to a place where we're open to receive what God's doing for us. And so I I read this book and I said, somehow I've got to get Oz Hillman on the podcast. (laughs) I have no idea how I'll do this. So I put it out on social media and I said, does anybody know how to get in touch with Oz Hillman? Does anybody? And a friend of mine texted me his contact information just kind of after putting that out there and we were able to get through to Oz. And now we've done a couple things with him. It was so great. We did a live stream with him during COVID stuff. And now you finally get to listen to an interview that we had with him a long time ago. Uh, That's great. Super excited about this interview with him. Yeah, it's it's a really good one. One of the things that he talks about, of course, is some failures in business. Oh, man. And it made (laughs) me think about, you know, we, we run a church plant. It's you know, it's it not is, technically it, a business, but, but it it's is. A, you it have is, to operate yeah. it like a business. Yeah, for sure. You do. And it got me thinking about um, failures along the way. Oh, that's the last thing I are, want to think about is a three. Hello. Uh, right. That's like your worst you're a three, fear. You don't want to go there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then as a four, I just like constantly live with the shame of oh. fails from the past. One of the things that I was thinking about was that I 
early on, really early in ministry. So I started as a junior high youth pastor and I was in my very early 20s. Um, And I had this awesome team of volunteers. And there was one guy volunteer in particular that uh, was really good with the kids, really, really just great. And I had another ministry team leader from children's ministry ask if she could steal him. (laughs) <laughs> and at the time I thought, well, yeah, my hands are open. Like any volunteer right? yeah. can go wherever they want to sure. go. And so I said, yeah, of course, fl- please take him. I mean, you know, <laughs> he can do what he's volunteer, like whatever God wants him to do. What I didn't realize is how much he had invested in the junior high youth ministry and oh, how no. much that wounded him. Oh. And, um, it, it, hurt his feelings so deeply that I did not, he felt like I didn't care about, about, oh wow, yes, I didn't care about his investment in the kids. I didn't appreciate him as a volunteer. And so that was, it's a small failure, but it was definitely a learning for me. Yeah. And then I think the bigger learning was, okay, I'm going to make mistakes. Conflict's going to happen. We have to do the work relationally to like make sure people feel loved and cared yes. for even after we've hurt them. Exactly. Yeah. And that man, what a tough tension right there because you're right. Oh. You would think, you know, that's the altruistic thing to go, my hands are open and I just yeah. really want you to be able to like live and thrive anybody. in whatever space you're in. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, if they're not feeling valued at the same time. So, oh. oh man, what a tough, what a tough yeah, lesson to learn. I still kind of feel some shame for that, but. Well, yeah. when I was in college and I was kind of like cutting my teeth in, in ministry, I started, along with several other athlete friends of mine, we started a ministry called Ignite, which was a, basically an FCA for, just for athletes. We didn't want to call it okay. FCA. It was under the FCA <laughs> banner, but we didn't, they, none of the athletes at our school were Christians. So we thought maybe gotcha. it would deter them from actually coming to the events and Bible studies that we were putting on if it was called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So we called it Ignite. Right. Right. Saw some wild success from it. Hosted these events, very evangelistic events, brought speakers in. We ended up seeing 40 athletes come to know Christ in one semester. It's but amazing. at the end of my college experience, I wanted to throw this really big, massive kind of going out type event where we would do a benefit concert to raise money for. At the time, I was very passionate about uh, fighting against AIDS in Africa. I'd come right. across some other ministries that you know were doing, and I'm like, let's raise a bunch of money for AIDS in Africa. We're going to do this major benefit concert. So, I mean, we developed this team, and we put one of the teams as like a research or as a um, a fundraising team, and I booked a band as the headliner, uh, Amberlynn. They were super popular. <gasps> I mean, she, yes, they were very popular very when ex- I was a youth pastor. Very expensive. And oh, no. then I got into baseball season and I, I outsourced to our fundraising committee the job of raising all the money to bring the band okay. in and get all this going, right? Everything was yes. all set up, but I didn't want to touch fu- raising the money and did not train them how to raise money. So we get halfway through no. the semester and there was $0 raised for this thing. Are you kidding? Nothing. And so I was like, oh no, and had to call Amberlynn's manager up <gasps> and say, Hey, we can't, we're pulling out of this. Now they didn't know they didn't have a sign a contract. So we had, we were oh. not on the hook for anything. Well, that's amazing. But it was this like still just a poor measure of, you know, committing and having yeah. them kind of work their tour. Oh. And it was so, I mean, it was the worst. I felt so ashamed of it. 
Yeah. Oh I would my have gosh, to. it was the worst failure at that moment. I learned there's some things you can outsource, there's some things you can't. You know. Oh, that's really oh, yeah. So, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, and if you are going to outsource, you got to train people properly, and so that was. That's the other like, thing I was thinking yeah. when you said that you can't. You want to empower people, but not just like take you can't just like take off. your hands off it. You have to walk them yeah. in the steps, train them how to do it. Yeah. You know the whole Maxwell. You know you you watch, I do, we do together. Yeah, and then you know right. you do and I watch kind of thing. And Ugh. I give you feedback, and then eventually you do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking also about this. Have you know John Mark Comer? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. He's a pastor out in the Portland area. Right. I was reading his book called Garden City, mm. uh, in which he really talks about the value of work mm. and what it means as uh, Christians to be workers. And yeah. what I think is interesting, especially related to. Oz's conversation with you is that a lot of times we emphasize that who you are matters more than what you do. Yeah, right. And I think that pendulum swing did have to happen, maybe out of legalism or whatever. But scripture does talk about that God um, put us to work. Like God planted us in the garden, created us his image, blessed us to work. Right. Work was before the fall. Work was God gave and we were blessed Adam a job. To work. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So I do think this, you know, part of the reason why when we fail at work or why mm. we wrestle with our identities in work, even though of course sin has taken over and broken right. that, part of it is because we were made to we're work. We were made to yeah. to create and, yep. and bring forth goodness that blesses other people. So yes. I do think our work matters. Who, yeah. What we do matters as much as who we are. Yeah, absolutely. We are endowed with the Imago Dei, the image of God. That's right. And one of the key characteristics of the image of God that it, that we have as humans, and so animals do not have this and no other creation has this, is that we are creators. Yeah, that's we right. We are co-creators with God. That's what he asked Adam to do. He asked him, hey, multiply this earth, subdue it. You have dominion over it now. I want, I want you to co-create with me. And that's what I love about, this still goes back to our calling right now to be partners with him and kind yeah. of the reconciliation, restoration process of this world. And so yeah. whether it's doing ministry or whether it's doing ministry in a non-conventional context where you're you know serving people on the front lines of some other industry, it's still ministry yeah. you're yeah. creating. And that's why you get so much satisfaction out of when you kind of, uh, I don't want to say advance or achieve, because that's not what it, but when you produce, right? When you produce yes. something fruitful, you you have this sense of internal satisfaction, even if nobody else sees it. When I go cut my yard, right? it's so right. funny. I look out my windows after cutting my yard and I look at it and nobody else has to see it. I just look at it and I'm like, But Man, you enjoy that. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's the uh, beauty that I'm a part of yeah. taking part yeah. in like creating and stuff. I And I was thinking about this, you know, like, Job, there's a verse mm. in Job that says this. It says, um, in Job 5, 7, it says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Well, you could read that word trouble and think that it means like pain or hardship or adversity, adversity or something mm-hmm. because it's the book of Job. That word trouble in the Hebrew actually means work. Man so wait, is born. Again. So it, so it would read: Man is born man to is work, born to work, as surely as the sparks fly upward. Interesting. To to toil, to labor, right? Yeah. And so laboring and toiling yeah. in partnership with God was part of the beautiful, non 
it was part of the pure process that God called us into in the garden. Right. And then the right. then the fall made that work by the sweat of our brow. And now yeah, because of the fall, made it laborious, yes, and terrible, and now right. because of the fall, the ground, so to speak, is going to work against us when we're mm. working. Instead of us working the ground and seeing the fruit from Exactly, that. exactly. Yeah. And so you're right. Wow. I, I do think, yes, of course, we have to, especially as someone who's prone to workaholism, or my I'm prone to my identity being placed in what I can achieve, yep. right? Yeah. So I absolutely have to be very leery and careful of that, that God mm. loves me as a son, not as a slave, right? right? Not as right. not because right. of what... But at the same time, he's inviting me into partner yeah. with him in this great yeah. work that he is doing. God is doing a work and he's partnering all, he's asking all of us to partner with him in this work. That's right. And that's where that's we get right. purpose. That's where we get fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Oof. Oz is going to unpack this topic and other just issues around what it looks like to fail mm-hmm. in leadership and to yeah. wrestle with life failures. Um, but then talk about some of the lessons that he learned from that. I think it's a really great conversation that you have with him. So let's go ahead and listen to Davey's interview with Oz Hillman. Oz, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Davey, it's a, a delight to be with you. I read uh, about your story and uh, identify with many of the things you've gone through, but we've, we've both had our things to go through. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we often talk about that pain is the common denominator of life. And uh, each of us, no matter what we've gone through, we, we start paying these membership dues to clubs that we don't want to be in by yeah, walking through difficult too. circumstances. Uh, and yet, what I love about your story, Oz, and, and, and what's provided so much hope for me as I read specifically the upside of adversity that you wrote is that God sees you through those things and he teaches you some very valuable lessons in the midst of those circumstances, draws you even closer than what uh, you were before you stepped into those circumstances. So the membership dues to that club, they do, um, they do pay dividends in the spiritual and, yeah, they um, they they make deposits in our life, you know, that uh, we can't appreciate at the time, mm. and uh, we have to go through a process that sometimes is much longer than we want it to be. Yeah, but when we get on the other side of it, we can appreciate what God has done through those uh, experiences, and you know, He He raises us. I, I like to say it's kind of a uh, graduating into the larger story of our life. Mm. Um, in order to be used by God in greater ways. Yeah. Uh, he, he may not design the pain, but he'll use the pain yeah, in good. our lives. Wow. Well, Oz, there you know, are going to be so many of our listeners that are familiar with you and your work, but there are probably some that are not. And so um, would you do this before we dive into your story? Because I want to get into all of the different weeds and you know alleyways of your story. Um but before we do, can you just kind of give us a little bit of context for, for present day, Oz Hillman? What, what is it that you do? What's your life like right now? Well, uh, I have an organization called Marketplace Leaders. And what we do is we equip men and women to see their work as a holy calling from mm-hmm. God and to help them become change agents in culture. And so we've been helping men and women for the last 25 years understand the role faith plays in their work life call. And that we do that in a lot of different ways. Wow. 
That's awesome. Well, you know, there's so much of what you do that stems from, you know, as I understand from your story and the ups and downs, the journey that you've gone through. And so would you kind of, for those of us who are not familiar with your story, those who are listening, would you just kind of take us on that journey of those, those mountaintops and valleys that you've experienced uh, years, starting years back? Sure. Well, it really began very, very, um, when I was very young and uh, my dad was killed in an airplane crash when I was 14 years old. We had four sisters and he was very successful in business and kind of, you know, climbing up the ladder. He was a believer and, um, and that really changed things in our family. Uh, although we were a church going family, my mother, um, you know, she didn't have as strong a faith before the accident, but after that, the Lord used that in her life to really draw her in a mm. real intimate relationship with him. In fact, he spoke to her one night when she was at the low point of her life, and he said, trust me, Lillian. And uh, as a result of that, God really did a deep work in her life. Over the next several years, she began trying to reach me. I was in my teens. I was a, a, a young golfer at the time. I wanted to play professional golf. Uh, I was very good. And I got a golf scholarship to the University of South Carolina, went to school there. After four years, I wanted to play on the tour. I, I actually moved away from my city to get away from, um, from my mom because she was preaching at me. And I just didn't, wasn't open to it. I went for a year to a, another place and strangely enough, ended up meeting the Lord there through a, a pastor who knew my family and knew my mom. And uh, so I ended up not getting into golf, would later get into business. And I would have an ad agency in Atlanta for 12 years. And uh, in 1994, uh, what I call my year from hell came mm -hmm. and I uh, uh, you know, my wife and I had struggled uh, in our married life for a number of years, and she came in and said, I want to separate. And um, and I had a investments on the East Coast and West Coast of about $500,000, and I get a call from my financial advisor and says, your money's gone. You've been mm. the victim of a, quote, Bernie Madoff type situation. And uh, and it was a scam that my advisor didn't know he was being scammed. Oh, wow. My vice president left me and took my second largest account. And uh, so within a matter of three months, my wife would end up filing for divorce and life would, you know, change from one place to a whole nother place. And that would usher me into a seven year season of adversity. And I got down to my last thousand bucks and uh, I wasn't sure what, you know, what was up and really struggling to, to know, you know, why God allowed this to happen. And that's the question most of us ask whenever something yeah. devastating happens to us. And, um, but two years into my adversity, I got an audio tape from a guy named Gunnar Olson. He was the founder of the International Christian Chamber of Commerce in Sweden. And on the audio tape that I heard by him, he said, God is raising up Joseph's all over the world. And it's often signified by them going through extraordinary adversity in their business and personal life. Well, I realized I needed to talk to that man. He had something I needed to know. And I flew up to Washington where he would be. It was two weeks later. And he was um, head of a international organization and it was a 75 nation conference in Washington, DC. And he 
uh, I don't know why he did it, but he allowed me to come up to his suite that very night of the conference before it started and listen to my story. Mm. And um, he said, Oz, as he listened intently to it, he says, you have a Joseph calling on your life. I said, what in the world is a Joseph calling? He says, well, it's a marketplace call to be a uh, physical and spiritual provider to others, to Mm. free others. Uh, But your life will be earmarked by adversity. And, uh, and so he unpacked that more for me and took out a napkin. And he said, here's where you are right now. Here's the next phase of your journey. And here's the next phase of your journey. If you'll press into me. And that was the key point he mm-hmm. emphasized. Well, that day he became my spiritual father uh, in the marketplace. And still is today. I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's 83 years old and uh, has just deposited in my life all these years. And uh, so anyway, seven years to the month, I had a windfall of money that, uh, you know, a piece of property I was still able to hold on to. I was able to pay, you know, like three and a half times what I paid for it. And so I was able to pay off all my debts and become debt free. My wife didn't return, but it birthed what I do today. And God would allow me to start writing a daily devotional called TGIF Today, God is First. And basically that devotional was for me to kind of process what I was walking through, mm-hmm. looking in the scriptures to say, okay, why did I go through this? When we, you know, what does it say about this? And I would just write it and send it off to my friends. And they began responding and saying, this was really helpful. Then a website guy who uh, was a friend of mine, he said, why don't you let me put it on my website, which turned out to be crosswalk.com. And uh, I started hearing from people all over the world saying, you read my mail today right where I'm at. And so now it's in 104 countries and I've been to 26 countries and written 19 books, (laughs) all because of a crisis that led me down a path that I never anticipated I would go down. And, uh, you know, I say that God turned my Valley of Acor, which it talks about in Hosea 2.15, to a door of hope, a door of hope for myself, and also a door of hope for many others. And so what I realized is that even though Satan tries to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives, God always has the last word. And he will turn whatever pain or crisis or thing that happens in your life into something that can be used. Mm. And I like to say he he uses that to give us our anointing and have greater influence because we've had victory over a particular area that Satan tried to defeat us in. Mm. And it's payback to the enemy for that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's so good. You know, it's funny you mentioned just that because I, I wrote, as you as you were talking, I wrote down this this phrase suffering is necessary, question mark. <laughs> and, and I just wonder what your thoughts are on that, because it sounds like, you know, this idea of Joseph calling and God leading you through, diver- through adversity and through struggle um, to bring you into a place of, you know, ministry and helpfulness and providing hope to other people. It almost seems like suffering, adversity, hardship is necessary for us. How would you comment on that? What are your, what are your, what's your take as you've kind of looked back on a lot of the adversity that you experienced? Well, I think it's a little bit of a combination of things. Hebrews says that Jesus had to 
learn obedience from the things he suffered. Mm. Now, if if he had to learn obedience by the things he suffered, what does that say about my life? You know. Yeah. So I assume, you know, and and the scriptures tell us that we're going to face tribulation in our life. The the problem comes in when we attribute evil to God that God is not behind, but we still experience it. And because evil comes into the world because of free will, you know, God gave us free will. And as a result of that, if evil gets into the heart of man, they can cause a lot of evil and hardship and pain in the world. But it's rarely by, you know, God's hand, unless there's a judgment of some kind. Mm. So, I think that God desires for us to have a blessed life and to uh, live an abundant life. You know, it's interesting that John 10, 10 has two mission statements in it. The first part says Satan comes to steal, kill and destroy. Mm. But Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. So I think God's heart is for us to be blessed. But he also knows that we're going to experience tribulation and he'll use that tribulation for greater purposes, not only, you know, in our lives, but the lives of other people. So we can identify with other people as well in their own journey. Wow. Some of the things as I was reading the upside of adversity that, that that I just kind of like hit strong in me, especially as, as I've kind of walked through some difficult trials, but also transitions in life. And even as I would look back on it and say, there are certain failures that, that I can see in my own life. And I'm sure as people are listening to this, they can look at, 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 you know, some failures in their own life that cause almost a, um, a hesitation, uh, an insecurity to arise. You know, I mean, you look at with your situation, you walk through this seven year journey of just adversity, this, this kind of dark night of the soul where so much of your, your, your business, uh, the, the things that you were taking on a business, they just began to implode. Did that, did that cause you to, to, I mean, did you have to wrestle through this, this like insecurity of going man, to step back out in this risk and this faith? And do I have what it takes? And, and what was it about what God was doing in that season that helped to shape yeah. a new, a new kind of stepping out in faith? Um, Yeah. Well, there was a guy that God sent in my life at that particular time who was a former um, Vietnam helicopter pilot, and he uh, had a Christian retreat center up in New England and uh, Massachusetts. And um, he was a hard-nosed northerner that was a combination of of Bill Gothard, uh, uh, Omar Bradley, Jeremiah, and Isaiah personality mixed in one person and it was a little bit hard to be around him Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he could smell sin from a mile away and he didn't (laughs) mind telling me (laughs) but he was the kind of person that i needed at that time and he would often say to me says, there's nothing wrong with you you're just not dead yet and i Mm -hmm. said what what are you talking about well you've got this stronghold of insecurity and fear of your life that's driven by performance. And as long as that's going to be there, you're going to have a miserable time and God's not going to bring you out of this pit. (laughs) You can't prove that. He said, yes, I can. (laughs) And so he took me through this little exercise that 
proved his point. And uh, I realized he was absolutely true, you know, what he was saying to me. And so that was a part of the process for really God to go deeper into me mm. to, to bring healing to me in some areas that I needed that were wounds from childhood, really. And mm. I didn't know it. I was just a performance-driven businessman yeah. that liked to control people and circumstances, you know. Yeah. And um, because of the and what happened with our finances when I was young, it created insecurity around that. And so God did this deep healing in my life mm. through that process. Uh, it didn't happen overnight, but it certainly, you know, that was a catalyst to take me down a path. Yeah. Are you able to articulate like what was replaced, you know, in the for, in the place of insecurity? What did God replace? Now, obviously, you said it was a long journey. It was a process. So even you just articulating it right now is not necessarily going to cause someone to, oh my gosh, now I'm no longer insecure. I'm able to walk in wholeness and in faith and, and you know, trusting God. But, but maybe it might start to unlock something for somebody to go, oh, okay, so this is what it means not to walk in this kind of a fear-based, exactly. you know, well, see, John, John 8, 32 says, the truth shall make you free. And uh, for most of us, especially men, when we come to the awareness of the truth about something in our life that's not working, then that begins a healing process in a, in and mm. of itself. But for me, uh, I was able to go back and realize that when my dad was killed in an airplane crash, uh, the insurance didn't pay off. And my mother, um, you know, would say things like, we don't have enough money for that. We don't have enough money for that as a teenager. And so I got this subconscious kind of vow and mess life message mm -hmm. that um, I don't want to ever have to experience that again. It's kind of like what people went through in the depression. They could never have enough money after the depression, right? Yeah, for fear right. that that was going to happen to them again. And so when I became aware that I was living in fear, uh, the opposite of fear is trust and faith. And so I would, when I had my ad agency, I could have $250,000 in the bank and spend the first hour on the toilet sweating mm -hmm. about that. I didn't have enough money, you know, now that's a stronghold of fear. Mm -hmm. So the opposite of that began to change when I began to repent of that and say, Lord, you are my provider. And I renounce that stronghold mm. and I'm going to walk in faith. And so instead of working 50 or 60 hours, I started working 40 hours. That was my faith decision. That was re reshaping how I saw things and did things. And wow. I, uh, I'll, because uh, the stronghold was there, uh, my relationship to people was very tied to how well they did financially. So mm. if they fail, if an employee failed financially, I would become angry and more controlling. Well, that changed. I began to trust God and realized that, you know, that was a stronghold too. Mm. And I began to affirm my people and not make money an issue, even if there was a failure. And so I began to really reshape, you know, I, I, you know, Romans 12 says we need to renew our mind. And that's what had to happen with me. I had to renew my mind and I had to move in a new dimension. Now, 
it's a good thing I did because I didn't know that God was going to lead me into a nonprofit world that I had to trust <laughs> God for my resources through donations, mm. <laughs> which my pride really hated. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, wow. those are some examples. Well, I, I love that you, one of the things you said tangibly in terms of a faith step for you was cutting, you know, your 60 hour work week down to 40 hours. And I think what that highlights to me is that faith is action. You know, faith is not just this idea of believing, but it, but it's actually demonstrating, okay, I'm going to trust God's ways. And I'm going to trust in him by taking this actual step, making an actual adjustment, um, which would then lead you into the belief or the, the heart level understanding of, oh yeah, I can trust God because he's coming through now for me. This. Well, that's the sanctification process mm -hmm. that he calls all of us to, you know, if we just believe something, but don't act upon it, you know, and don't change as yeah. a result, we're just religious, you know, yeah. versus, you know, really having a relationship with God that impacts our life and changes our life. Mm. Hey guys, I want to interrupt this interview because I have some great news. Jill Monaco is back this month as our guest for our September bonus episode. Her story was just released as episode 126 of the podcast, where she talked about overcoming sexual and spiritual abuse in her life, among other pain that she dealt with. If you didn't listen yet, you need to trust me. With God's guiding hand, she has come through years of healing to get to the point where she now coaches others through their trauma. In this bonus episode, she dives further into the idea of spiritual abuse, signs to recognize spiritual abuse and ways to detox from it. Her insight into a topic that frankly many people don't talk about is eye-opening and immensely value-adding. If you want to catch this bonus episode, head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little preview of my conversation with Jill now. Anything that um, says I have the key and the answer is yeah. trying to be a middleman between us and God. And that's wow. the real danger of subtle and subtle spiritual abuse is you, if, you, if people aren't through their courses or podcasts, even pointing towards Jesus and yep. God and saying, I know the right thing for you to do, that is control. And yeah. even taking into my coaching, um, I've really learned that people thrive when they're not controlled. Well, you know, on a, in a similar vein, Oz, um, there are a lot of people who would and who have experienced in their past what some people would say, quote unquote, a failed marriage and would use that as a excuse or a justification as to why God, why they are maybe disqualified from being used by God. How did you wrestle with that? Well, you know, that was um, that was tough because I am. Um, I'm on my third marriage, mm. 
Mm. And, you know, um, the first one failed because I was a lousy husband. <laughs> the mm. second one, and I didn't know all this stuff, uh, although I tried to save it and I went to counseling and so forth. The second one that was 10 years was devastating because I really loved her. And I, we mm. went to spend over $20,000 in counseling and I'd done a lot of deep work in my own journey, yeah. but she left and I was so shocked. I would have bet somebody a million dollars that could never have happened to us. And that really put me in a really bad place because well, I said, well, maybe some people might forgive the first one, but in ministry, the second one, yeah, you know, right. I said, I guess that's done. I guess I'm done, mm. you know? And so I had to really just put that on the altar and say, God, I don't know what you want to do with me now, you know, mm. but it is what it is. And I, I, I didn't want it. And uh, I have no control over, you know, what, right. What uh, has happened here. And so, um, anyway, so what happened on that is I, for seven years, I waited hoping for a, uh, a um, return that she might kind of didn't date. I didn't, I just left my, just prayed. And, and then um, one night the Lord just ministered to me and said, your time of waiting was over. It's time for you to move on. My grace is sufficient for mm. you. And, you know, I was very, very committed to covenant and marriage. And I didn't believe no matter if they left or not, but God had to do a deep work in me just to be open to his grace wow. in a different way. Well, after that, that night was a, a night in June. And then in uh, August is when um, I was asked to speak at this movie preview. Uh, the guy who did the movie uh, was a Hollywood movie was uh, on my board. Mm -hmm. And he asked me if I would go downtown and just say a few words. And so I was there and Pamela uh, was there with a friend and she got introduced to me and one thing led to the next and mm. we were married within nine months. <laughs> wow. And we're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's so, what's so beautiful about, you know, th that just that trajectory is, you know, we encounter so many people in our ministry that um, shame paralyzes them. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's two, we could qualify, there's so many different types of pain, but there's two buckets that we kind of put pain in. One is the things that are done to you that you had no control over, right? Other things are your own failures or the own, your, your, the way that you've kind of brought pain on. And so both of those carry with it shame. And often we, we encounter people where that's the, ma that's the major limiter the shame that they carry to say, God could never use me because of X, Y, and Z. What's been done to me, what I've done, God can never use me. And your story is a testimony to the fact that no, once you, like what you said, when you put it on the altar and you say, Lord, I'm yours, no matter what, I, I just, I just want to be yours that he can take any of those situations and his grace rushes in and redeems it and can use yeah, it for I a blessing. I also say shame says I am a failure but guilt says I failed, mm. you know, there's godly guilt that the Holy spirit gives us and says, you know, you just need to repent, but that doesn't make you as a person any less worthy. It just means, you know, you failed. What we need to do is we need to learn to fail forward, mm. you know, and not backward. 
so that God can use even that failure. And uh, God is, you know, will use that because he's such a redemptive God. And I like to say, you know, only Jesus made plan A. The rest of us, he turned our B plan and C plan into his A plan. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Jesus is the only one that aced the test, right? <laughs> wow. You know what I'm really curious? And uh, I don't remember off the top of my head if you meant, if you list these out in the book, but I'd love for you to, if you, rem if you know them, the phases that your friend shared with you about in this Joseph calling, um, did you, did you write about that in, in the upside of adversity or did you write about that in Joseph calling or either one of those? Do you remember what those phases are that he said, Hey, here's what you're typically going to, you know, see in one of these Joseph callings. Cause I think that might provide a really just helpful and hopeful framework for those of us who find ourselves in the midst of suffering right now. Well, what he was trying to do is tell me that the process that many of us in business go through, mm -hmm. that we're very performance oriented. And so basically he was showing two things on both sides of the page. One was Egypt. Egypt is always representative of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it says in Psalms that, that we're not to sweat it out, but basically we're to work unto the Lord. Mm. And over here is the promised land. So we're really wanting to uh, come out of Egypt and move into the promised land, which is based on obedience and intimacy with God. And so in order to do that, we all have to come to the end of ourselves. Mm. There's a process of, of that we have to come to the death of ourselves. And, you know, many times I, I ask people or people ask me, when is my adversity going to be over? And I said, well, what I found is it's going to start being over when it doesn't matter to you anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you've come to a place of really death in yourself that you've given it to God. And you're now, you know, I, f I think that when Joseph came to Pharaoh, uh, to interpret that dream. I really don't think that he could have cared less what happened there. I think he'd become dead to his whole life. Mm. He, he wasn't striving to make sure he did this properties. He, he didn't have any idea that Pharaoh could make him number two over the whole land. Yeah. I mean, that was so far beyond what he would have thought. <laughs> and so I think that sometimes once we come to the death of ourselves and are able to relinquish our future to his purposes, that's when God can begin to move. Wow. And that's exactly what happened in my situation. You know, for, for a while there, I was striving to try to get myself out. What, mm. what do I do here? What do I do that? And finally came to the death of myself. It wasn't long after that, that things started happening. I had no control over. I was not doing anything to make happen. And things just started falling into place. Wow. I had a publisher offer to publish me and I had never published a book in my life, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't happen nowadays, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful journey once you get free. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, it's funny you, when you, as you say that, I'm, I feel like I related to your story so much. Oz, as I was reading The Upside of Adversity, because um, my personality is very much a, a high-achieving, goal-oriented type personality. And um, I've always wrestled with and had to 
uh, really, you know, wrestle to the ground, my identity being caught up in what I do. And I think that's for so many people, you know, this is uh, so much of the message of scripture and even what you were sharing with this idea of Egypt and what were the Israelites? They were slaves. Well, slaves are not, their, their identity is wrapped up in what they can produce. And so God had to rescue them out of Egypt and called them sons, you know, and gave them rest in the promised land. And so this, this whole meta narrative that is happening within us, this trying to strip us away from goal orientation mm-hmm. and, and, and yet I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm really curious because I find this tension as someone who is, you know, in ministry and trying to help people and trying to build an organization um, that I fight this striving mentality and find value in setting goals and dreaming and, you know, have, having vision and kind of, you know, letting the Lord download vision on me. And yet it's, it, that seems to be in conflict with what you're just, what you were just now saying of like, oh, it just kind of comes to you and you don't care about it anymore. And yeah. so can you talk about the tension of that? Because I, I know there's a tension there. I know it's not a either or. As, as you've wrestled through that, what does that tension look like? Yeah, well, God calls us to work and work hard. And the difference is, in fact, when I first was struggling with that, I asked my mentor that question. Mm. I said, because he said to me one day, he says, Oz, I really fear for you. And I said, why do you fear for me? He says, you're such a good marketer. I, I fear that you're going to outmarket God. Mm. I said, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, how do I not do that? Right. He, yeah, that would be my question. It's like, wait a minute. I don't <laughs> want to do that. You know, but how do I not? <laughs> so he said, he, he said this profound statement. He said, I, I have to, there are times that I realize I have to withhold my natural gifting to ensure that God is in it. Mm. And I said, that's profound, but how in the world do you do that? You know? And so over time I learned what he meant by that. And basically what he was saying is that, you know, we are called to work hard, but if God tells you to knock on the door three times, knock on the door three times, don't knock on it four, don't knock on it two, but knock on it three. Mm. and then trust him to open the door. And I had a profound experience with that years ago when I was had started getting several of my books published and I wanted to, to uh, find a publisher that I could have a long-term agreement with for multiple projects. Yeah. And so I was in my office one day and I received a book in from a publisher and the, the author uh, I knew well. And I said, now that's the publisher I need to be with because I knew the other writers mm-hmm. that were with them. And so I sat down and I began to write a letter to the president of that publishing company. And it was as though my fingers stuck to the keypad. Mm-hmm. I could not write the letter. And I started again. I could not write the letter. I got up the next morning and tried to write the letter. And the same thing happened. I just I had this check in my spirit do not write the letter, (laughs) you know? So this happened for several days that week. And finally I just said, okay, okay. I get the message. I'm not supposed to write a proposal letter to this publisher. I don't know why, but Mm. you're not letting me. (laughs) About two months later, I was uh, at the office 
the headquarters of this particular person who wrote the book. And I was doing a workshop and he asked me in for lunch at his office during lunch hour. And so he, I go in there and there's a man sitting at the table with us. And it turns out to be the president of that publishing company. And within five minutes of our conversation, he says to me, I've been watching you for several years. We'd love to publish anything you'd like to write. <laughs> and I said, Oh, I got it now. <laughs> you know, wow. My relationship is totally different <laughs> now, you know, yep. that he wants me versus me promoting myself to him. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, over time, you realize you become more sensitive to that. So it's a lot easier to know when you're striving and when you're trusting. Wow. In the combination. It, I, I think of it a lot like a, a baby who's in the crib and you got that mobile that all these mm -hmm. little characters moving around. It's a little bit like that. You got to make sure you're, you're, you're balancing it right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, such a tough tension to manage. You're right. That balancing act of, you know, working hard and stewarding, but not striving, you know, and I think, and to, you know, continue to go along the storyline of Joseph, you see Joseph do this, like as he's in the prison, he, he, he puts his own name in the hat, you know, Hey, when you, when you get out of this, talks to the cupbearer, when you get out of this, will you, will you mention my name to Pharaoh, will you put in a good word for me? Right. And, and then the next verse we see is that he was forgotten. Um, and he was in the yeah, prison. And that tells us a little bit about the condition of his heart. Yeah. That he still had a little bit of stuff there of resentment and, you know, striving. And so God had to give him two more years to think about it. And then wow. evidently it come to the death of himself. And then God began to move. Wow. Oz, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that we are able to talk to somebody who has um, such life experience as yourself. I want, I would, I would be very curious to, if you were talking to, you know, the, the 30 year old Oz or the 25 year old Oz, what would you say to him? How would you try to advise if you were his mentor, what are the things that you would tell him um, potentially not to maybe to help him avoid the avoidable pain? Mm hmm but also to advise him on, on leaning into the, the process that God has for him, no matter what. what, what kinds of things would you say to him? I think I would sit down and let him tell me his life story. You know, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about the tough things that happened with you. And are there any things that are tough right now that are surfacing? Because um, when you're young, it's you, you, often don't have enough pain that's motivating you to move in a particular direction. Mm. You see, pain is a great motivator for change, you know, uh, and that uh, there's a great statement uh, somebody made that says that the pain to remain the same mm. must exceed the pain to change, you know, uh, and that whole idea that uh, there's a place in the foxhole where you're going to be obedient. So I think sometimes when we just have little bumps in the road, they're not enough to change our behavior or get us to think about something that needs to change. Yeah. So I think that sitting down with somebody and hearing their story, because so many of people's stories, 
they become the adults they are because of the wounds of childhood that may or may not have been uh, really dealt with mm. at, at their, that stage of their life. Wow. That's man. That's so good. And you know, there's, um, I think it's encouraging to hear that, you know, you are even now recognizing childhood wounds that, you know, may have been uh, unaddressed and you're wrestling with those and dealing with those even now and going, Oh yeah, this is a result of, Oh, how I'm wired right now is a result of this. And this is the, but that's the deep work that a lot of people don't do. It's the deep work that pain invites us into kind of stops well, us. <laughs> yeah. Before you and I got on the call, we were talking about my marriage to Pamela who yeah. uh, had a very, very difficult past uh, childhood uh, abuse, sexual abuse, went in up into her adult years by threat of murder if she told anybody. Um, she dealt with the pain by taking drugs. She started taking drugs at nine years old. It led to a 35-year cocaine addiction, prostitution, in and out of jail, uh, came to Christ at 26, but couldn't break the habit, finally landed her in prison, for 18 months, she got completely clean when she, uh, from that day on, and has never touched a drink or any drugs since then, since 2010. And um, and so when I met her, and she told me her story, I said, "Oh my gosh, mm. I need to run as fast as I can." <laughs> Not because there was anything wrong with her per se, but I knew from my own history yeah. that there was a lot of pain from that experience. And could I deal with that mm. you know, in a relationship with already having someone, you know, leave me and all of that, all the baggage right. that goes with some of that. Right. But, you know, God really ministered to me and says, you know, what makes her sin any greater than yours? Mm. And and as we began to walk down the path, now I will tell you that our first year was very tough mm. because a lot of those wounds surfaced. Yeah. But we persevered and we both understood that we had to go to the root of some of these things. Mm. And we did. And we got healing for that. Now we have a great marriage. Wow. Yeah, it's um, my wife and I talk about this a lot because, um, you know, she comes from she's got her own story of a painful past, um, several different major pillars of things that happened to her and some failures that she, um, you know, feels that she has uh, walked in volitionally in her own life. And, you know, then I've got my whole side of pain and I wrestled with like, do I do I want to marry her because she brings a lot of baggage to the equation? Then I was like, wait, I bring a whole lot of baggage to the equation too. We both kind of do. And so we had the same ex experience where, and, and we're new into our marriage. And so we're still seeing things we're having to work through because of some of the trauma that we both faced. But one of the things that I've found is really cool is that we are, uh, that, that trauma or the triggers are surfacing because we're in a space where we feel safe with each other. And the guard is being let down. And so it causes these things to surface. And that can cause, that can be, it can be scary for people. And they go, oh, hold on. They try to stuff it back down. But in order to find healing from it, you've got to, okay, now as these things are surfacing, let's work through these things and let's address them. And how have you guys, how have you guys um, 
maybe strategically or methodically kind of, you know, worked through that as, especially as you both know, Hey, this is what's going to happen. How do you guys work through those things? Well, one of the things I learned years ago was that whenever someone has a reaction to something that should be a level two, instead of going to a level 10, Mm. you know, in their emotional reaction to something, there's usually pain there that's Mm. unresolved. And so that's a, a signal to me that, okay, they're not really reacting to the situation. They're reacting something deeper is causing Mm. the level of reaction that I'm hearing. And, um, I, uh, I remember, um, it was, I think it was the first year of our relation, our marriage. And we had a, a disagreement and I was really hurt by the disagreement. And, and I didn't feel like, I felt like I was unjustly judged, uh, mm. you know, and I was, uh, I was the little boy going in the other room pouting. And, uh, and then the Lord uh, just spoke to me and said, go back in there and, and put your arms around her and ask forgiveness for uh, every uh, abuse that has been at the hands of men. Mm. So I hugged her and she began to weep. And, you know, it was a layer of pain there that, you know, God wanted me to help bring healing to. Wow. But I had to get past my own pride <laughs> and my own hurt of the words that I had just heard. Mm. And uh, so we both have kind of walked through those seasons where we recognize that, you know, we still have things that have happened in our lives that surface and we need to recognize when the enemy is trying to cause Mm. something in our midst. We're very cognizant uh, that Satan wants to steal, kill and destroy from our lives in marriage. And that he wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse your wife through you and vice versa. And that we have to cut that. We have to recognize it. And so we often, whenever we see that happening, we immediately just stop and say, we need to pray. You like it? We need to pray. And we just stop. And we just stop the whatever's going on and begin to take control of the situation to bring peace back into the conversation. And that requires being intentional. And it also requires being very intentional about forgiveness. My wife is fantastic at forgiving. Mm. And once she forgives, she's forgiven. She's not going to hold a grudge. She's not going to pout. It's done. And that's a tremendous quality she has. (laughs) Wow. It's really great to have this kind of insight. And and one of the things that struck me as you were saying that, I think this it, it's so profound that if we're going to be healers in other people's lives, if we're going to be ministers to other people, we, we have to be willing to put down our own pride and walk into wounding. We have to be willing to say, you know what, this might hurt a little bit, but but in order to help someone else, whether it's your spouse or whether it's you know someone that you're just ministering to, um, I, I'm going to have to kind of get in some of the the way of that elevated, you know, level ten, um, you know, lashing out that you might experience because of someone else's pain, um, and to be able to have the emotional fortitude to say, "All right, I'm I understand there's something deeper here," and so even though this might hurt. 
me a little bit. I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to step in. And it's so, I mean, it's Jesus, right? By his stripes, we are healed. Very contrary to human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, Oz, this is just, this has been fantastic to be able to talk to you. And uh, I would love for our listeners to be able to follow you and what you do. Do you have, um, you know, some resources, a, a, a website, just tell us how we can kind of continue to follow the things that you're doing, the message that you're carrying. Sure. Uh, one thing I would suggest people, it's uh, our devotional, uh, TGIF Today God is First. That can be accessed on our website at todaygodisfirst.com. That's todaygodisfirst.com. But we also, uh, we make available a resource that we have done on topics like this called Adversity FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, but the website is adversityfaq.com. And that's a free resource. It's an e-booklet and it's many common questions people ask about adversity. And so I've just compiled those over the years and it should be helpful to your listeners. Well, that's awesome. That's going to be extremely helpful. And again, thank you so much for the, the impact you've made in me personally by the things that you're writing, the message that you're carrying. And I know that you today have made a huge impact in so many people as they're listening to this conversation. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, Davy, it's been a pleasure. Well, I told you that conversation would not disappoint. Yeah, it was so good. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. If you liked that conversation or any of the other ones, we would love for you to go on iTunes and rate and review. That encourages us and helps us out. I would love to actually read. There's a really good review that I want to read, Davey. It says this. This is from a listener who is 27 years old. Thank you for creating this podcast. Mm. My husband unexpectedly went to heaven five months ago due to complications of a lung defect he was born with. I've listened to the podcast with Samantha Smith and I'm on episode two of the Brookers gaining insight, courage, strength, and just a sense of I'm not alone in experiencing this. Mm, wow. Really powerful. Well, first of all, whoever that is, we are so yeah. sorry for your loss. That is absolutely yeah. devastating. And this is the reason why we have not just the podcast, but nothing is wasted ministries. That's right. I, I feel like Aubrey, one of the things that I have heard was that, and I'm so I'm humbled by this comment. I've heard it from several people is that um, nothing is wasted. Podcasts and ministries has started to kind of uh, renew the conversation of wrestling with a theology of pain and a practice of mm. walking through pain in a younger generation. Mm. You know, there's definitely stuff out there that seems to attract an older generation. I'm not saying, I think we attract right. all of the, you know, different demographics and age groups and stuff, but I do think there's something unique. We're, we're constantly having conversations with young widows, young widowers, young people, just yeah. young who are walking through some yeah, devastating that things. That are walking through suffering. Yeah. And maybe they don't have sort of the Elizabeth Elliot in their life, yeah. but now they have nothing is wasted taking up that taking up that mantle. Yeah, I think we're that's so really humbled powerful. by that. I mean, that is just like a very humbling thing. So we appreciate you guys listening and we appreciate you guys joining in on this conversation as well as the ministry and all the things that we're offering to you. We just we want to serve you. We want to help you in whatever you're walking through. And so yeah, if you right. want to join in on the conversation with us, go and follow us on Instagram, nothing is wasted ministries. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn, and you can follow Aubrey at Obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. And uh, we also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Go and listen to his music. Anywhere music can be downloaded, 
or streamed. And uh, next week we have a wonderful conversation with um, honestly a, a, a woman I'd never heard of before, but I was really, really impressed with the things that she was saying. And, uh, and, and I want to make sure that I'm going in and looking at and listening to some of the other work that she does. It's really awesome. Her name is Elizabeth Lang Thompson. I love the work that she's doing on emotions and, and wrestling with difficult things. So let's go ahead and take a listen to a clip from her conversation with Davey. So we had had these three babies in three years. We were, life was good and peaceful after that long desert season. We were living in the same town with both of our families. And then it was like in a three-week period, everything fell apart. Mm. My husband needed to find a new job. We needed to move, leave family, leave friends. And I had just found out that I was pregnant, but we miscarried. Mm. And so we're going through this loss and this grief at the same time that we're unexpectedly yanked out of everything secure and everything, all the people who loved us and knew us. And then not only that, but it's like, go plant a church in a city where you know no one. They wow. have beaches, but you have no friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, I just remember feeling so overwhelmed. Like, you know, I'm trying to be strong for these kids. I'm trying to support Kevin and his work but it was a lot of feelings to deal with.